Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Stacking the Box, college football edition, week 12 preview. We're going to go through the latest college football playoff rankings. We're going to give you a little sampling for a loaded week 12 slate. Of course, I'm your host, Reed Wallach. You can follow me on Twitter at Reed Wallach. And I'm joined today, as always, by Cody Williams at the Sizzle 20 loaded show today. Cody, what's going on, man? Dude, just... uh. I can't believe it's November, mid-November. We got two weeks left of the regular season. Like, what is happening? Time, time is just. Uh, I just got done watching Loki, which is a show all about bending time. And uh, I'm wishing we could bend time a little bit and go back to the start because it's going by too quick for me. I watched the first season of Loki. Is this season two that you're watching, or you're yeah, yeah, just j- just finished season two. I'm I'm out on Marvel. Once they once they went too much into the multiverse, kind of lost mm-hmm. me there. A little for a superhero thing, a little too far from reality for me. So I kind of I think I'm out on Marvel altogether. But we're getting a little sidetracked, right? <laughs> uh, let's talk some college football playoff rankings updates. Of course, every Tuesday, this somewhat ran not not random, but somewhat arbitrary rankings are released to the public, and it gives us find people some talking fodder until Saturdays. But before we do that, let me tell you about our new sponsor, Sleeper Daily Fantasy. Stack in the Box is partnering with Sleeper to give new users a first deposit match up to $100. Make sure you use the code FANSIDED2. That's the number two. So FANSIDED2 when signing up to receive your deposit match. Please remember to always game responsibly. If you're watching on YouTube right now, you can scan the promo code in the top left. It also has the code in there. And if you're listening on podcasts, you can also just use the promo code again. That's FANSIDED2, the number two. So, yeah, so let's talk some college football playoff rankings. I feel like we're slowly just, like, kind of inching closer to, like, we could only talk about so many. Yeah. I'm going to go just because they played last week in a big game, so I'll, I'll start there. But 13 Ole Miss, 12 Penn State. Those two are out. Mm-hmm. 11 Oregon State, pretty much out. Maybe a like find a very small sliver of hope. 10 Louisville, who I also think is already out. 9 Missouri, who I also think is already out. Mm-hmm. And then you have your eight teams that could qualify, in my opinion, as for the top four. You have number eight, Alabama. Number seven, Texas. Number six, Oregon. Number five, Washington. Number four, Florida State. Number three, Michigan. And now number two, Ohio State, who flip-flopped with now your new number one, the Georgia Bulldogs, the two-time defending champions who are off an absolute demolition of a top-10 team in Ole Miss at home in Sanford Stadium, 52-17. to Cody, you'll do the honors. What was your biggest takeaway from this week's uh, playoff reveal? The committee finally got it right, man. We talked last week about how we thought, but both you and I thought that Georgia should have been number one after, Mm -hmm. you know, beating a really good Missouri team that the committee obviously respects uh, putting them back up at nine after their win over Tennessee. Yeah. And so I think when you have like their two wins now are both like their two signature wins over two top 15 teams, whereas Ohio State's two biggest wins are starting to get are starting to get devalued basically by the week. Like Penn State, they've shown that they can't compete with a contender after what they did against Michigan. Like, might have been a nine point win for Michigan, but uh, it was if you watch the if you watch the tape, it was a pretty much Michigan did whatever they wanted and they just wanted to run the ball for 60 minutes. Yep. And so like you have this Georgia team that has won in multiple different ways and now is getting to the back end of their schedule, which is features their toughest test. And they're just blowing like they blew out a good a pretty good Ole Miss team. Like Ole Miss's offense pretty much sputtered after the first two or three drives, and Georgia just did whatever they want. And so I think the committee finally got it right, putting Georgia number one. I'm still not sure they got it right with Ohio State, though. Uh, that was gonna be my that was gonna be my uh, my takeaway. We're sure Ohio State should still be ranked ahead of Michigan after the one knock on Michigan was that 
they couldn't they haven't played anybody and they have this like the easiest strength of schedule of any serious contender then they go on the road without their coach and the first drive was a little suspect or whatever it may be but once they pulled ahead the game was pretty much over they yeah. they threw the ball one time in the second half and it was a penalty it was a downfield throw and it drew a pi and then it actually ended up flipping the field i i you know where i stand with michigan to me, the two Georgia and Michigan are the two best teams. I might I, mm-hmm. I said I thought Michigan was the best team, but I starting to think maybe it just is Georgia again. Yeah. That being said, I think the two of them are in a clear tier above. And you mentioned Ohio State's wins becoming less and less impressive by the week. If we're devaluing Ohio State's resume and we also hold the belief that Michigan is better. By every efficiency metric you could find, why is Ohio State still ranked ahead of Michigan? Is this is this one of those things where they want to set up the Michigan is ranked lower than Ohio State going into the game, where if Michigan wins, you can maybe, if necessary, have the backstop for Ohio State to fall to four. If that is, you know, obviously you need other things to happen, but I feel like that's what they're trying to set up. Because I think if you ask anybody who the two best teams are, it's Georgia and Michigan. Yeah, I think I think anyone outside of Columbus would agree with that sentiment. Uh, Columbus, uh, I've interacted with some fans who might share a different opinion, but that's okay. You know, support your team. But I I agree with you. Like Michigan, to me, like what I think the committee is doing because they flashed on the screen last night during the show, uh, the rankings reveal, and it was uh, Ohio State still ranks number one in strength of record. I think strength of record is one of the most fraudulent like metrics that these that the committee uses to do this. Like, it just bothers me that like you're not going to value the big wins as heavily as like mediocre wins. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just feel like it doesn't do a good job of that. Like what is, what is the, like, obviously you have your, your Penn state and your Notre Dame's are like your kind of anchors, but like, what are your like middling wins that are like propping you up and holding you to a higher standards, like bowling Rutgers. Rutgers. And then, I mean, Rutgers, which is a game. Like when you look back at it, we talked about it. For three quarters, Rutgers was in that game and threatening for an upset. Michigan was only Michigan took care beat Rutgers on the road. Yeah, and then like you have the Maryland game. Sorry, which, no, no, Ohio State's on the road, but still, uh, uh, forget that. No, you're fine, and I mean, but it's that it to me, it just like Rutgers had Ohio State on the ropes, and then Ohio State pulled away late. Michigan beat Rutgers into submission. Yeah, we see we're going to see Michigan play Maryland this week. Ohio State was down early in the second half to Maryland, and then Maryland just started their complete collapse as a program was that seems to be currently ongoing. Yeah, and that, that tailspin's still in, and that was in like week five. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, like, I just don't see like you're talking like the middling wins when you look at the final box score. Yeah, they look fine, but anyone who's watched these Ohio State games against these middling teams, they can't be impressed with it, especially to the degree that we've seen Michigan just completely pace these middling teams, Georgia you know, pace two very good teams. Like that Missouri game, the final score was only, you know, a nine-point margin, but they were in control of that game. And once they got ahead, it just didn't feel like Missouri had enough to catch up. And then Ole Miss, like they were just dead in the water after the first quarter. So I just don't understand how Ohio State measures up to these two teams. And honestly, like if you put Ohio State up against the Florida State or even uh, Washington, like I don't see how like – I think that's more of a debate between three, three, four, and five teams in my eyes than I do it. I think it is between the top three. What did you think of the committee leaving Florida State at four and Washington at five, given that Florida State takes care of business, a competitive game against the Miami team that is obviously getting weaker and weaker by the week, whereas Washington, competitive game as well, but in reality probably should have won by more than the final scoreline stated. They had a um, (laughs) touchdown that they dropped. They Deshaun Jackson short of the end zone. They also had – a late field goal blocked with like less than two minutes left that would have made it a two-score game. They mm-hmm. had to get in the stop. They still win by seven. So Washington, we'll talk about the game against Oregon State this week, but for right now, just like saying locked in on this week, do you think that Washington should have leapfrogged Florida State? I think I'm probably letting my bias bleed in a little bit because you know I've been big on Florida State all season long. Mm-hmm. I think I test-wise – I still think Florida State passes the eye test just a little bit better than Washington. But 
when you're talking eye test, it goes back to what you said. These rankings are so arbitrary at this point because there's no consistency. Because eye test-wise, I may think Florida State's better, but I would probably say Washington has the better top-to-bottom mm-hmm. resume because of the league that they've had to play in and some of the games that they've had to play in. Like, their win over Oregon is better than Florida State's win over LSU, pretty clearly. Yeah. And, like, you know, the win over Utah. And Washington's played a pretty tough schedule at this point. It gets t- It's only going to get tougher from here on out. Like you said, they've got Oregon State this week. But – there's no consistency with these rankings. And so it's hard for me to say what the committee should have done because I don't think they're using consistent metrics, but to me, I still think I test wise Florida state passes it just a little bit better. I think they're a more complete team. I think that when they're clicking on all cylinders, I think they are a more dangerous team than Washington. So that's why I would have them at four, but I understand why it's a debate because Washington has passed more tests, more has the better resume. Like I said, uh, than Florida state does. I would have flip-flopped it this week, especially for, like, leaning into the the TV side of things. Yeah. Knowing who the two teams are playing, you could throw Washington a bone in this one and put them into the top four spot. If they lose, it's okay. Like you, yeah. you just dump them back down if they lose to Oregon State, where they are betting underdogs this week. Florida's playing Northern Alabama. Like, you're – that's not – nothing's going to change there. So I guess my expectation is if Washington goes into Corvallis and wins, it's a no-brainer that they're going to jump Florida Yeah. Because then now you have the presence. I just think knowing how this committee seems to work and operate, I'm a little surprised that they didn't put Washington in the top four. Because to me, yeah, if they win this week, they're going to be in. If they beat Oregon in the Pac-12 championship, then they're going to be in. Obviously, they beat Washington State in between. They're going to be in the college football playoffs. So I don't know. I, I, I think maybe I'm projecting a little too much into how the rest of the season is going to go if Washington is to run the table. But I think I would I would have put Washington in the top four. But I'm not like, you know, up in arms about it. I kind of like uh, separated myself from this whole thing to begin with. One more. No, 100 percent. I got one more point there. No, I think I think with Washington and Florida State, with the Oregon State game this week, I wonder if we're kind of doing what we did with Georgia last week, where we were like, okay, Georgia passed a passed a big test, and maybe we should move them up now because maybe we should move them up ahead of Ohio, of Ohio State. And I understand that Washington's current resume is still better than Florida State's when you just put them next to each other, but maybe the committee is just trying to set up drama for next week where it's like, okay, Washington got another big win. Florida State beat Northern Alabama. Like, who cares about that? Like, this is the time. Like, Washington proved it. Now they're going to jump ahead because – we still aren't far removed from Washington playing with its food a little bit. Uh, there's been reports that in that Arizona State game that everyone in Washington had the flu. Um, so, well, like, it explains some things. <laughs> a lot of things. Yes, <laughs> correct. Um, they they played like it. That's for sure. Whether they did or not remains to be seen. But they played like it. Uh, but I think that we it's as an like in our role as like providing analysis. I think we are sometimes too quick to too quick to put a team ahead of another team, particularly when the committee is not just trying to make rankings, but also trying to make a TV product that they're trying to sell and create drama with. So that would give them drama for next week's show when the drama for this week's show was, oh, Georgia, is Georgia going to jump ahead of Ohio State? And then they finally did. So I think it's kind of like a very similar pattern. Makes sense. Before we move on to the Week 12 preview, I want to talk about Alabama. Smoke Kentucky on the road. Game was never in doubt. 49-21. Jalen Milrow continues to get better with every passing week. He goes 15-22, 234 yards, compiles six total touchdowns in the game. Again, Alabama wins 49-21. Cody, I, I know you can't move Alabama up so far, but are you starting to think of this team as maybe, obviously, they are going to need to um, win their two remaining games. They play Chattanooga this week. I think they'll get through that one okay. Then they play the Iron Bowl against Auburn. And then, of course, it is an already confirmed SEC championship game against Georgia. Look ahead lines are now showing like threes. Do you see Alabama as a team that is maybe on a rocket ship and going to maybe give Georgia the test that they haven't had so far this year? And maybe that's where the three-peat is stopping before the playoff even starts. And Alabama takes Georgia's spot because there is a chaos scenario where you get an undefeated Michigan or Ohio State, a undefeated Florida State, a one-loss or undefeated Pac-12 champion, and then it's Alabama because they beat Georgia, and all of a sudden Georgia's out of the playoffs because they have very limited – 
impressive wins. They don't have a conference championship and they're a one loss team. Do you, are you starting to believe in that fact or you still think like this is Georgia and then a little drop off and it's Alabama? I still think there is a drop off. However, I think both things can be true because I think Alabama is shaping up to be the biggest test and the biggest hindrance to a three P outside of the playoff itself for Georgia. Because I mean, like you said, Alabama had Alabama just looks like a different team than what we saw at the start of the year. They are not the same football team. Jalen Milrow is not just progressing in terms of his talent, but you can see his confidence and decision making improving with each passing week. Like his, he always used his legs as a weapon, but he's using them much more like decisively and to set up things now. Like there was a play in that Kentucky, Kentucky game where he rolled out and the defense crashed, and then he found someone over the intermediate parts of the field. Whereas we're seeing him early in the season, we're seeing him take off on that play. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. I just think that I think with the strength of that defense, which I still don't think is as good as Alabama defenses have been in the past, but that's a very high bar. So it's still a very good defense. I still think Georgia can score in them. I think we're looking at more of a shootout Georgia Alabama game, which isn't necessarily what we're kind of accustomed to. And we've mm-hmm. seen these two programs clash in recent years, but I do think that, Alabama's offense with Jalen Milrow has progressed enough to where I think they can scare this Georgia defense just a little, just enough to make it hairy for Georgia. But going to the improvement of Alabama, I'm beginning to wonder if this might not be the third best team in the country right now, like Georgia, Michigan, and then Alabama. And like, I honestly think that might be where we're at with how much Alabama has improved. I think I'd still put Oregon ahead of Alabama because of Alabama's offensive line. Mm -hmm. But, and honestly, the, Alabama's they have a dynamic quarterback, but the overall run game still isn't there. But I I think Alabama to me, I'd say fourth best. Like uh, that's I go, fair. Yeah, I go Georgia, Michigan are in a tier above, and then you got Alabama, Oregon, and then that might be in a little bit more of a drop off, and then you get to like Florida State, Ohio State, and teams that I don't think are going to factor into the national championship picture. But I I think it's it's definitely shaping up to be a really compelling SEC championship game. When mm-hmm. you would have told me two months ago. All right, you got Georgia, Alabama in the SEC title game. Be like, all right, well, Georgia by too many. <laughs> Georgia by yeah, right. you know, Georgia by ease. <laughs> now it's shaping up that that game might be super, super competitive. And it seems like Alabama is getting better with every passing week. So is Georgia, but it feels like Alabama had a lot more ground to make up. And yeah. that like they are making that up. They're they are starting to find their identity a little bit. Milrose really coming into his own as not only a passer, but as a runner, as, you know, in command of this offense and the defense is also lights out. Yeah, I'm hundred percent with you. And I mean, it's one of those things where I'm really excited for conference championship week. Cause, because, because I feel like we're, if things, if we don't get the chaos scenarios playing out over, you know, this week and rivalry week, like if these contenders kind of stay contenders, we could have three conference championship games that basically decide who makes the playoff. You've got, you know, the SC championship game with Georgia and Alabama, and it might be like you, in that scenario you painted out, that might be win or go home for the playoff. And the same thing with, you know, you said Louisville's dead. I think there's still a dark horse shot. If they were to upset Florida State in the ACC championship, there's a – like – They lost okay. to Pitt. I understand that. two it, more wins than our team. We don't play for a team. <laughs> No and they almost lost to Virginia. So no I understand where you're coming from. Chance. No I'm just chance. saying, in Zero. theory, in theory, there is. Yes, there will I, be in, I'll give you there will be intrigue in the game. Yes, there is intrigue in the game because in theory, you could make an argument. I'm I'm with you. I don't think that there's like losing to Pitt is a death sentence for making the playoff. You can't have a playoff team that lost to Pitt. I get it. But it will add intrigue to the AC championship game, which Frankly, that's a conference championship game that hasn't mattered in a really long time unless there was an upset that was going to happen. And then you also have the uh, Pac-12 championship game, which is shaping up again to be the Oregon-Washington rematch. So, like, having three conference championship games that are basically win or go home for the playoff, that's something we haven't had really in the 14 playoff era. And I think that's – I mean, for college football fans, that's all you can ask for. 100%. The more important games, the better. And this is, like, the first time in a while it feels like where I said eight teams, if you want to throw Louisville in there, nine teams – Usually around this time, there's like six and really five teams. Like it's kind of like it works itself out. It doesn't seem like it's going to be so easy this year, which is, uh, you know, pretty ironic in the last year of the uh, 14 playoff before it expands. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. 
Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. All right, you ready to talk some week 12? Let's do it. Okay, before you do that, just remember our partner Sleeper. If you sign up with Sleeper and use the code FANSIDED2, or if you're watching on YouTube, you scan the code in the top left, you get a deposit match up to $100. So make sure to do that. And there's more uh, in the podcast description. Okay. Both of us went three and three last week. So even week, we paid for the entertainment. We come out, you know, that's the ticket to get on the ride. Let's look ahead now to this week. We're going to go a little bit differently. Not as many marquee games. So we're going to lump all the playoff contenders into one. We're, of course, going to talk Washington, Oregon State. We're going to do underdogs. We're going to do sickos. And, of course, our favorite total bet. Even though we both lost last week, that has been good to us uh, this year. So let's go playoff contenders. So we laid out the eight or nine teams in the mix for a college football playoff berth. Cody, where are you going? So I'm going to actually one of the marquee games of the week. I'm taking Georgia minus 10 and a half against Tennessee in Knoxville. Uh, Point blank, I just don't think Tennessee's in the same stratosphere as this Georgia team. And I mean, that's probably the simplest analysis you're going to get, but I think it's just true. And it's not just because of like the transitive property of, well, Georgia beat Mizzou and then Mizzou blew out Tennessee. That's not necessarily what I'm looking at. I'm looking at the numbers as well. Like you look at this Vols defense and they have improved statistically. They are 21st in EPA per play defensively this season. But then you dig a little deeper, and they've only played two teams this season who are top 50 teams in EPA offensively. One was UTSA in a game where they did not have Frank Harris Jr. And on top of that, it's a different level of athlete between SEC and UTSA. And then the other one was Mizzou, and they smoked them. And now you have this Carson Beck, you have Carson Beck and this Georgia team come into town. And the Georgia O-line is healthy. Amarius Mims came back last week. They're, that's opening up the running game for Dejon Edwards and Kendall Milton. We saw them absolutely torch Ole Miss last week. Tennessee's obviously a better run defense than Ole Miss, but at the same time, I just think everything about this Georgia offense is clicking on all cylinders. And the Tennessee offense, we can't say the same. Joe Milton is still a problematic quarterback. He's still going to turn the ball over when he's under pressure, when he's for when his hand is forced to throw the ball. They want Tennessee wants to run the ball offensively. They want that to be their bread and butter. I think that they're going to have to throw the ball a lot to try and keep pace with this Georgia offense because I don't see Tennessee coming up with a lot of stops, and I just don't think that they're going to be able to do that. I think Joe Milton's going to have a couple of turnovers in this game, and I think it probably gets a little out of hand. I agree. Yeah, you beat me to the punch on this one. I I, I completely (laughs) agree with Georgia uh, on Saturday. I think – I still think, and it's why I took Missouri last week – I think that there's still like some sentiment that Tennessee is this high level offense based mm-hmm. on what happened last year, where at one point they were ranked number one in the AP poll. They also, as number as the number one team in the country, went to Georgia and scored like seven points, I believe it was, got yeah. absolutely outclassed in like a similar way Missouri or I'm sorry, Michigan outclassed Penn State. Mm-hmm. I completely agree with you. I think Tennessee is in for a brutal, brutal game. You can run on Georgia more so than in the past, and maybe Tennessee wants to establish the run and get this going. But I think the real issue is the Tennessee secondary is still unproven, and we've mm-hmm. seen when they could play vertical offenses. And even not not even that vertical, but teams that have a competent or a passing with a pulse, they could get the ball down the field, and you're running into an absolute buzzsaw in this Carson Beck-led Georgia offense that has Brock Bowers back, has a fully healthy lad McConkey in there number four in EPA per play this year. Mm-hmm. I just think Tennessee falls behind, and I don't trust Joe Milton, like you said, to throw them back into the game. So I think they're going to have to abandon the run, and that's going to go against them, and then Georgia can pull away. So I like, I like the Bulldogs here to win comfortably. Mine, I'm going to go Texas-Iowa State under 47 and a half. We've seen Texas throughout this year as a favorite struggle to – put up big numbers and really like step on a team and blow them out. And I think that's going to play into Iowa state's hand. Uh, We got Iowa state. Who's usually very strong as an underdog under Matt Campbell, not laying many points here, but it's a low total. They play at a bottom 20 pace in terms of plays per minute. So they're going to want to slow this down. They can't really run the ball. They're outside the top 100 in terms of EPA per rush. 
They have this emerging passing game. It's not really super efficient. They can hit a few big shots. But you're going up against a really stout defensive line in Texas. Far more athletes on that side of the ball. I think, though, where the inflection comes is with this Iowa State 3-3-5 defense that is top 25 in EPA per play. I think they're going to limit Texas explosiveness, especially now that Texas lost Jonathan Brooks, their star running back, to a torn ACL. I think this game is going to be super rock fighty. I don't know if I'm going to go for the outright upset. I just like the under because I struggle to see Iowa State putting up many points against this Texas defense that I think is, I don't know about a leap, but very good. Mm-hmm. And I think Texas, though, is going to struggle to get points up as well. I see Texas winning this one like 20 to 17, like a tight mm-hmm. one on the road. Ames is a weird spot to play. Yeah, it Night is. game. I, Texas, I mean, they struggled last week on the road to close out TCU. That game went under the total. I think Iowa State could maybe make this more into a rock fight and have a chance to win. I don't know if they will win, but I think have a chance to win Lee. Probably cover, but I like the under as my favorite bet in this one. What do you think about that? No, I absolutely love it. The The Brooks injury is where I came down on this. Like that's I, I don't know if you said – I can't remember if you said that was the inflection point, but it's the inflection point for me is the Brooks injury because – with Iowa State's defense, like I don't think they're going to be able to keep Texas's explosive playmakers all the way in check. Like I just think they have too many when you look at A.D. Mitchell, Xavier Worthy, mm. Tavion Sanders, even C.J. Baxter, who's Brooks's backup. Like there's still too many explosive athletes that Iowa State just can't cover for 60 minutes, in my opinion. But I do think the defense is strong enough and well coached enough to be able to not allow Texas to do whatever it wants. And I think without Brooks, that means that a lot of Texas drives are going to stall. And even if Texas like completely manhandles Iowa State in this game, like if Rocco Beck and this Iowa State offense aren't able to do anything, I don't see Texas putting up a, a big enough number to where I think this total is really that in play. Like I see this game pay, being played in the high 30s or low 40s, not, you know, in the 48, 49 range. Texas as a favorite this year has gone under the total in eight of nine games. So what does that oh. mean? Right. That, 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 that's kind of like, oh, well, like that doesn't necessarily matter. There's different teams. They're playing all that. To mm-hmm. me, what it says is that this team struggles to absolutely blitz the inferior mm-hmm. opponent. It, sh- it says to me more that they're cool leaning on their defense and kind of bully balling you and more overpowering rather than going to put up a big number on the scoreboard and hit a bunch of explosive plays while the defense also does what they have to do and shuts down the opposing offense. So to me, Texas as a favorite, I'm always kind of have an eye on the under because that's just how they've been playing their games this year. It's definitely, yeah. They're not – like looking to chuck the ball around the yard and, you know, play at a fast tempo and run up. The, they're looking to like kind of methodically move down the field. So Texas has been more of a under team when they're favored. Yeah. And I think, I think you always, I think you can get a good number on Texas because of that too. Like I think they put number like totals that are just frankly too high because of the explosive playmakers that they have. And, you know, odds makers look at that and they know that they could get burned pretty quickly if Texas does start humming with these totals, but at the same time, like that's just not the way Sark is running this offense right now, like you said. And so I think, I think it's a really smart play to if the numbers, right. And I think it is for this game. Like, I think it's smart to give a first look to the under at a Texas game right now. Absolutely. All right. Let's talk favorite total. Again, we went over two last week on this one. So let's see if we could turn this around. You're going big 10. I'm going big 12. You go first. Yeah. So I'm going to another playoff contender. Actually. Uh, I got, I like the Michigan Maryland under 50 and a half. Uh, I talked about it earlier when we were talking about, you know, Ohio State's win over Maryland. Uh, since that game, Maryland's just been in a tailspin. Uh, I'm still oh, yeah. a little bitter over last week as I had Nebraska plus two and a half as my upset pick. And uh, if Jeff Sims and Truba Purdy hadn't had to come into that game for Heinrich Harburg, uh, I would have hit that pick. But Jeff Sims lo- really loves turning over the football. And that really bit me. But that got Maryland a 13 to 10 win over a Nebraska team with its backup quarterback in there. Now you have a Michigan team coming to town, and there's two things I know. One, Michigan's defense is going to make life absolutely hell for Talia Tagovailoa in this game. They're going to pressure him. They're going to get after him. And when Talia has been pressured this season, we saw in the second half of that Ohio State game from Maryland, he just completely crumbles. He throws interceptions. He makes a lot of ill-advised decisions. And so I just don't see this Maryland offense doing a whole lot. And then on the flip side of that, Michigan's not Michigan knows that the Ohio State game next week is their bread and butter, not this game. They are going to just outclass Maryland. And I expect this game to play out similar, like similar to what we see in a lot of spots like this when there's a rivalry game ahead and an, op- an opponent who's just 
frankly inferior where Michigan jumps out to something like a 31 to nothing lead in the first half and then just sits on it. They just run like three yards in a cloud of dust for the rest of the game. And I just don't think they have any desire to do anything but get out of this game healthy. And so I think 50 and a half is just way too many points for how little I think this Maryland offense is going to do and how little I think Michigan's offense wants to do like for 60 minutes. Yeah, I I think it's all hands on deck next week. I think this is get up, sit on it, service academy. Like what they did to Penn State, the only concern is if Tally Attack of a low starts throwing it to the – the wrong team. I don't, I don't know what color jerseys uh, Michigan's going to be wearing on Saturday. I, would they be wearing white? Maybe like throw it to the guys in white. That would be a mistake. But uh, I, I, I can't fault you for taking the under, though, especially at 50 and a half. Uh, the way Michigan's been playing, especially in these games where like they're expected to win, like, mm-hmm. super slow, like no rush, take your time. I, I think <laughs> Michigan, uh, I, I, I like this one quite a bit. Mine is like the complete opposite. UCF Texas Tech over mm. 60. So first, let me complain about a bet I lost last week. UCF Oklahoma State, I took the over 61 and a half. UCF wins 45 to three. <laughs> it's the fourth time this year that I've taken it over where like the game is so lopsided that the scoring just dies. Um, mm-hmm. Just annoying. There's also like a hurricane during the middle of it. So uh, maybe that played a role in it. But um, we're not going back to the well though. UCF and Texas Tech. Each team top 20 in terms of plays per minute. So there's going to be plenty of possessions in this one. Also, I like the matchup for both offenses. Both teams have had quarterback injuries throughout the year. Brennan Morton for Texas Tech. I think he's like just as good, if not better, than Tyler Shuck, the week one starter for Texas Tech. Morton was dealing with a shoulder injury. He's been back. Led him to two wins. But this team is really baked around the run anyway with Taj Brooks. Team is top 25 in EPA per rush. Going up against a UCF team that – like, they just shut down Oklahoma State last week. But before that, they were the third worst team in terms of EPA per rush. They're now, like, the sixth worst. So, like, they did improve. I'll note that. But they're still really, really yeah. bad. Um, so, I think Texas Tech is going to get theirs at home, fast tempo. But on the other side, I think UCF, this offense, has been able to score on pretty much anyone, whether it's a banged-up JRP, whether it's uh, McLean, their backup. Team has been scoring into the 30s all year long. Put up 30-plus against Kansas State been able to move the ball. So I think with the sheer amount of possessions, I essentially need about four touchdowns from each side and then another score on top of that. I mean, at least nine touchdowns, a field goals wouldn't matter either. But I think with the sheer amount of possessions I'm going to get in this one, should be a bunch of explosive plays. Keep an eye on Taj Brooks, the Texas Tech running back, who's gonna, who he ran for like 132 last week. He's over 1,000 yards already. He's going to be going pro for sure. I think this game is a shootout. I think this game gets into like like the 40. I think like alternate overs these because it could get really sideways quickly. Yeah, this feels like a ladder opportunity, honestly. And it's it's yeah. kind of funny because like what you're mentioning is like when you think a shootout in modern college football, you think of like, you know, Washington and USC just throwing the ball a billion times. To, you know what I mean? And like, yeah, Dylan Johnson had a great game in that. But like you just think of teams airing it out. This is going to be a like a service academy type shootout. Like they're just going to run the ball. And I think you're getting a good number with 60 here because of what UCF did to Ollie Gordon last week without, because I think people are overlooking like how that game script played out. UCF got up 24 to three big time early. Like they shut down Ollie Gordon early and then Ollie Gordon got taken out of the game plan because Alan Bowman had to try to throw him back, throw Oklahoma state back into that game. UCF's run defense is still not good. Texas tech is going to have a lot of success running the ball. They're both, both teams are going to hit explosive plays in this. And like, I think we're looking at a scenario where this total could be hitting by the third quarter, legitimately. No, I I completely agree. And also, to your point, Texas Tech, it was 13-10 until there was a minute left in the game. Kansas hits a field goal to tie it, and then Texas Tech goes back down. They end up winning 16-13. So another low-scoring game there. I think that game also got a little weird because Kansas won their third-string quarterback. So Mm -hmm. that game kind of just slowed down. I think this game is going to be up-tempo, it, both teams need a win to go bowling. Each team is at five wins. They need one more win to go bowling. So I think that there's going to be like a in uh, a desire to try and win this one. It's not like the game is going to be out there and it's going to be stupid. It's like these guys want to win and play. So I think uh, two uh, good dance partners here for an over. So I like the Texas Tech UCF over 60. All right. Biggest game on the slate this week. We got Oregon State, Washington, Washington, undefeated season on the line. Oregon State trying to be a, a spoiler. 
not only this week, they play Oregon and what is shaping up to be the final civil war for the foreseeable future and a rivalry game. So Oregon State kind of stands in the way of everything for these Pac-12 teams and Heisman hopes and college football playoff hopes. Oregon State's in the way. Oregon State is a very good team. We've spoken about them on the program. They're top, uh, what did I say they were? They're 10th in the college football playoff rankings, 11th. 11th, I think, oh, yeah. 11th. They're favored in this one. We're going to talk about why they might be favored and how this matchup suits them. Total of 64. Cody, before we before you give out your bet, because I know you're not betting on the side of total. Right. Is Washington losing on Saturday? I don't think so, personally. Okay. okay. I I am uh, I am dubious of DJ Uyangule being able to get it done in a big spot. And perhaps that's some Clemson bias from what I saw from him at Clemson. He has drastically improved from that point, but I still think he had – he has not proven to me that he is a big game quarterback yet. And this is obviously that's a big fair. game, even at home. That's fair. I, what about you? The more I think about this one, for right now, there's rain in the forecast for Saturday night, which I, I think like directly helps one team and directly hurts another team, uh, which we can talk about. But I wanted to bet Oregon State. I got to like I got to Sunday. I was like, all right, I'm hoping Oregon State like opens as an underdog and like you know we could we could uh, bet Oregon State. Oregon State's favored by two. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think you're gonna find a soul saying, well, I think everyone thinks Oregon State. Like this is like the everybody's convinced that the upset's going to happen. So they're all just lining up to back Oregon saying they absolutely could win. Oh yeah. I kind of lean towards Washington though. I I think like this is getting a little out of hand this line specifically. I think Oregon state should maybe it should be like a pick. Yeah. Like Oregon state, maybe minus one. I think we're like, if this hits three, that's a little crazy. I mean, I think you're, this is getting a little nuts, especially because of some of the matchup advantages that I'm going to get into, but what, give me your uh, player prop that you're eyeing for this one. Yeah, so uh, first time I think this entire season that either of us have put a player prop up as a best bet, but I absolutely love That's it. Right. I have Dylan Johnson. No better time than the present. Yeah, absolutely, right? Why not now? Uh, Washington running back Dylan Johnson over 85 and a half rushing yards. Uh, we've seen recent weeks that Washington has started to rely on the run game just a little bit more. Uh, past two weeks, Dylan Johnson has gone for over 100 yards, including a 250-plus yard performance, uh, and he's gotten 23-plus carries in each of those games. But he's also gone over this total of 85.5 in four of his last six games and in four of the five games this season where he's gotten 15 or more carries. So when they give him the rock and in these situations, he's done well with it. And I think this Washington offensive line is also starting to get healthy, which is helping open up the run game as he's starting to get his footing in this offense. Uh, But on top of that, Oregon State's run defense has not actually graded out that well this year, despite what we may think about Oregon State as a defensive team under Jonathan Smith. They're actually outside the top 90 in EPA per rush defensively, and uh, they only have the 44th best run grade, according to PFF. More importantly, uh, you look at their PFF tackling grade for Oregon State, it's 132nd. I know you love the tackling grade, and I I was almost sure that you were going to bring that up. And listen, but, man, uh, it, it, it's it shows something. It, it, shows it does. Something. It, it does. And I mean, Dylan Johnson is a big back. He's a hard runner. He runs with a lot of force. And if you're like a team that does not tackle well, that's not going to work out for you trying to, you know, get a Dylan Johnson down to the ground. I just think 85 and a half is a little disrespectful given what he's done and given the way I see this matchup going. You mentioned the rain in the forecast. I think they're going to have to rely a little bit more on this run game. They maybe even typically have even over the past two weeks. Like I think Dylan Johnson's going to be a big factor for Washington in this game. And I don't see Oregon state the way that they've graded out this year in terms of their run defense. I don't see them having a whole lot of answers. Yeah. I, I no no gripes for me there. And I, I think you brought up some great points uh, as to how this game is going to go. Cause you, you know, the over, you think he's going to, you know, bad tackling for Oregon state. I took the over. The rain oh, yeah. is starting to give me a little bit of pause, but I personally, I believe that each offense is set up for a ton of success in this game. I think each team's strength matches up very nicely against the other team's weakness and mm-hmm. vice versa. Where would you like for me to start? Would you like for me to start with the Oregon State offense or the Washington offense? Oh, let's start with the Bees. Okay. Gotta we'll the Bees some love. This is arguably the best running team in the entire country. Damian Martinez averages 6.59 yards per carry. Deshaun Fenwick averages 5.8 yards per carry. 
They have, I believe it's four seniors on the offensive line at, you know, top five. They're number one in run blocking in terms of PFF. So I think they're, they're bowling forward no matter what. And I will say for all the concerns we have for DJ Uyunglele, he's not super accurate, but he's gotten very good in this offense specifically, the play action deep shots. He's mm-hmm. turned into a very, very nice downfield thrower. Uh, team has only allowed 13 sacks this season and DJU. Um, I'm sorry, I'm reading off my notes here, but he's completing more than 52% of his throws of more than 20 yards with 19 big time throws to three turnover worthy plays. So okay, it's not every, he's only completing one of two, but those are 20 yard passes. Those are not easy. You know, this isn't like, right. off, like underneath DJU. Most of his throws are coming on deep shots because what they, what Oregon state does in Jonathan Smith system, handoff, handoff, set up the deep shot, get ahead mm-hmm. of schedule and set it up. So Washington's defense Third worst defensive line yard mark in the entire country. They are outside the top 120 in terms of success rate allowed and EPA per rush allowed. I think Oregon State is going to be able to run up and down the field. Just go up and down. Yeah, I think that helps Oregon State's case because I think they're going to have no choice but to get into a shootout with Washington. But they could go on six-minute drives. I think they're going to rip off too many big runs to make it a six-minute drive. Like, <laughs> like Oregon State's prerogative is, hey, we want to keep Penix on the sideline. Let's just try and run up and down the field, get the clock moving. I think they're not going to be able to because they're going to run for too many touchdowns. Yeah. That being said, on the other side, Oregon State, I've mentioned this before, I think their secondary is super suspect. Yeah. Anytime they've played a decent passing offense or a dynamic offense, cooked. Yep. Went to Pullman to play Cam Ward, 380 yards. Uh, Noah Fafita threw for 275 and three touchdowns. Granted, those both were on the road. Um, also, true freshman Mendoza comes in for Cal and scores 40 on Oregon State's defense. Now you're at home where Oregon State absolutely thrives in the Jonathan Smith era as a favorite. Oregon State is 14-2 and two against the number as a home favorite in the Jonathan Smith era. So Oregon State's a wagon in Corvallis, 100%. But... The secondary is a super big concern. They lost two pros there, and you're obviously going up against arguably the best passing offense in the entire country. Mm-hmm. Penix leads the country in passing. They have three future pros at wide receiver. McMillan came back last week, so they're all healthy. I just – I think both – and even with Dylan Johnson now becoming more and more of a factor, I think Oregon State's going to score. I think Washington's going to score. I don't have a strong feel for who's going to win. I think it's a true coin toss. I think it's going to come down to, like, who converts that fourth down – who mm-hmm. makes the one mistake and turnover. That being said, I'm going to go over 64 as my play. I, I absolutely love it. Uh, like you said, the rain would be the one thing that would give me pause. And like you said, it's given you a little bit as well. But we've seen Penix, granted not to the degree that we have in like ideal conditions, but we've seen him like find his stride in the rain. Like last week against Utah, the weather was nasty. That wind was blowing like crazy. And he still had a nice game. Like he figured it out. Like the first couple of drives, he was, he, was like, on, he was able to hit on deep shots. Like it was, it was, he must've had like two or two touchdowns that were like 30 plus yards down the field. Yeah. hundred percent. And like you watched him, you watched him adjust, which I think is one of the most impressive things that Penix does is if something's not working, he adjusts. Like I think it was the first two drives he missed like pretty wide open throws that killed drives. And um, then he just like adjusted and started hitting the explosive play, started moving the offense the way what we're used to seeing Washington's offense move. And I just think that the rain is not going to be that big of a factor for him. And like you said, Oregon state's going to run the ball all over this team because they, because of the play action game and how Jonathan Smith likes to use that Washington's defense is not going to be able to do what they did in the second half against Iowa last or not Iowa, Utah. God, I'm thinking of bad offenses. And I just, <laughs> you know, brought Iowa into the equation, but uh, Utah's offense with Bryson Barnes, because they knew that Bryson Barnes, he played the 10 minutes of his life in the first half, but they know who Bryson Barnes is. And so they can still sell out to stop the run for Utah. You can't do that against Oregon state. Cause then DJU is going to hit one of those deep play action shots on you because you're going to be selling out for it. So yeah, 64, I think, is just a low number. Washington pulls everyone into a shootout, and Oregon State is uniquely equipped to attack where Washington's defense is at its worst. Yeah, I just I, – I, either result would surprise me. I think it's going to be a tight game no matter what, but I think, to me, I'm most confident in both offenses getting what they want. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't see much, like, resistance in this one. So I'll go yeah. really over. It is kind of high, especially with a team like Oregon State that does like to run the ball and does like to play methodically. 
But I, that hasn't stopped Oregon State from going over in some of these games anyway. Scored 92 yeah. against Cal, 73 against Wazoo. Uh, the Arizona game ended under the total, but actually, if you go back and look, like there were a lot of missed opportunities in the red zone. Which And Arizona is also a really damn good defense, too. Exactly. Forget that. So, yeah, I, I think I like your Dylan Johnson play because I think Washington is maybe more comfortable now mixing it up a little bit, not going just like pass heavy. But I think ultimately when push comes to shove, you're going to see some deep shots from Washington and you're going to see some big plays. So, uh, yeah, let's go uh, over 64. Cody is on the Dylan Johnson over 85 and a half rushing yards, which you can find at DraftKings. Yes, All right, sir. let's get back to our staples here. Let's do some underdog picks. I hit mine last week. And you had Nebraska, so you came up short. Yes. Okay, we'll take one for two, though. We'll take one for two. Shout out Absolutely. to New Mexico State. We're going to talk about them in a little bit. But mm-hmm. you go first with your underdog pick. You're going back to the Big Ten well. I am. And I'm picking on another team in the Big Ten that I just refuse to believe that is any good. Uh, I'm taking Illinois plus three and a half, plus 130 on the money line against Iowa. Uh, my it. Freudian slip a little bit earlier uh, talking about Iowa's offense. Look. I give a lot of stats on here. We both do. I'm not even going to give you a statistical breakdown of this one. There are two teams in this game. One of them is capable of playing offense, and the other is Iowa. Illinois has a – their defense has taken a dramatic step back from last year, but we have seen this Iowa offense consistently struggle against, like, mediocre to bad defenses. So, I like, what we were looking at last week against Rutgers when Iowa put up 22, and that looked like an offensive freaking explosion. You know what I'm saying? Like, it just didn't look mm-hmm. like a – this is not a functional offense. And then on the flip side, I, I will say, I wish Illinois was staying with Devin Paddock instead of going back to Luke Altmeyer, who's now healthy, and uh, Brett Lima named him the starter. Yeah, but yeah. even – yeah, but even with Altmeyer, this offense has still put up – solid numbers offensively consistently, particularly with the pass game and the run game has developed throughout the season. And I was or I was defense remains quite good, but I think Illinois has enough ways to attack that they're going to be able to put up a total in the high teens, low twenties, perhaps. And I don't think this Iowa offense is capable of matching that when they're not getting set up advantageously like Rutgers did constantly. Illinois is so much more of a functional offense than Rutgers is with the way they can attack, with the way they can throw the ball, which Rutgers can't really do with Gavin Wimsat. And I just don't see why – I don't see how this Iowa team is more than a field goal favorite against any team that is halfway decent. But like I would consider like halfway decent being like a team that is threatening to go to a bowl game. I don't see how they're favored by more than a field goal over any team in that situation. To help your case uh... – it looks like Cooper DeGene, the stud at cornerback and punt returner, he's going to be out for the rest of the season. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't even know that. And so, yeah, yeah make it even more. Uh, yeah, Illinois, I have their under six and a half win total, and uh, they just won't die. They, I, I think <laughs> they've won four of their five games so far by one score in the final minute or in overtime. Mm-hmm. So that's getting annoying. <laughs> but I can't, I can't fault <laughs> you for taking them. I think – any Big Ten underdog when they're not playing Michigan, Penn State, or Ohio State is a pretty decent bet. I don't see like any fault. Mm-hmm. I don't see any faults in that. So I don't hate that. Mine, this one's a big one for me. I got UNLV to win the Mountain West, and I think that I I think they're gonna do it. I think they're gonna win the Mountain West. Mm-hmm. I think they're gonna go to Colorado Springs this weekend and beat Air Force. I like them plus three and on the money line. Air Force lose to Army. Lose to Hawaii on Saturday night late. We're going to talk about where that game was being played. But in that loss, they didn't have their starting running back, Michelle. They lost their starting quarterback, Larrier, to another uh, injury. So Air Force on two-game skid. Still in the mix for Mountain West title, though. But they're running into an absolute buzzsaw. That is Barry Odom's UC- UNLV reps. Jaden Maeva, Ricky White. This offense is absolutely electric. I think that, I mean, they're top 20 in yards per play. They're top 20 in success rate. And you look at the other side, like where UNLV has struggled is in the secondary. They've really been bottom 20 in terms of explosive pass rate. I know that maybe Air Force will be able to take a few shots in this one, but the strength is on this defensive line. Mm -hmm. They're right around 50th in terms of defensive line yards. They're top 30 in yards per carry. So the big men up front actually could hold their ground against this Air Force defense. I like UNLV in this game. I, if Larry doesn't play, I like it even more. I just think these are two teams going in opposite directions. 
Now let's talk about the scheduling spot because this is interesting. UNLV played at home Friday night against Wyoming. Won pretty handily. Went up 21-0 mm-hmm. early, got a little nervy, they ended up pulling away and winning. Air Force played Saturday night in Hawaii, have to fly home for what is, I believe, a 1.30 local kickoff mm-hmm. with a day less of rest. Yeah. There's a lot of things going against the Air Force. I don't know if Larry is going to play. Even if he does, I do still like it. Obviously, if he does not play, I do think it's a significant drop-off. I just think momentum's with UNLV. I think they're going to get over the hump here, and I think that they're going to go to the Mountain West title game. So uh, let's go Rebs. I mean, all right. I could not love this more. You got your upset pick in, but I had this one circled as one of my possibles because I'm telling you, man, I'm telling you, even if Larry plays, I still think this is probably closer to a pick them than this, like than plus three. And then on top of that, if you take Larry out of the equation, like you were saying with UNLV secondary, the thing that is set, like when Larry has played this season, the thing that has like elevated air forces offense has been his ability to hit deep shots, hit some explosive plays in the past game, which we haven't really seen, obviously, from service academies. We're used to seeing pretty much almost exclusively run, like 80% run rate. And when you get to the backup at Air Force, I'm not – I think that element of the offense almost completely goes away. I just don't think that they have the ability to attack that UNLV UNLV secondary. And as such, the UNLV front seven, which is its strength on defense, is able to get after it and run downhill and attack the run in the triple option. I think it sets up beautifully for UNLV. Okay, I'm just going to run through. Because you, I, I will note UNLV's after, but this is Air Force's schedule this year. Tell me oh, when yeah. you define like an above-average offense. Because like I just said, UNLV is top 20 in yards per play. Yeah. And Robert Morris is an <laughs> FCS team. All right, stop. Sam we found Houston, one. <laughs> they played two wins Sam Houston State. They played Utah State, who brought in a true freshman for his first run uh, in that game. Played San Jose State, who was struggling early in the year. They're much better now. San Diego State, terrible. Wyoming, Snail, Navy, who we know sucks. Colorado State, give them that. They're all right. Army, a triple option team. And Hawaii. I mean, mm-hmm. talk about one of the easiest schedules in the country. And I know you're going to say, oh, well, like UNLV didn't play anyone outside Michigan, which, like, that's not their fault. Beat Bryant. Did beat Vanderbilt, who has fallen off a cliff now. But that's still an SEC team. Went to UTEP and won. They also played Hawaii, Nevada, Colorado State. They should have beaten Fresno State. They had two goal-to-go drives mm-hmm. to beat them in that game. New Mexico is terrible, and then Wyoming, who he says is now. So I, I think the people saying, oh, well, UNLV has an easy schedule so far. Air Force has had the easiest. Mm-hmm. They've like two triple option teams. Those are like fake games. <laughs> you just called them fake games. My God. They're, they, they do not count to, like, your statistics. They, they, no, 100%. They like, in its own, like, in its own spreadsheet, like, over to the side, like a different tab. Oh, yeah, 100%. No like, UNLV is the better team. They're going to win. When Air Force was still undefeated before they went on this two this, this little skid, this two-game losing skid, um, there were people who were – I mean, it was definitely sickos, to be clear, but that's who I normally associate with in the college football world um, – who were like, why is Air Force cracking the top 25 here? If we're talking about strength – Exactly. Like, congrats on beating, like, you know, high school teams to get to an undefeated record. Like, this isn't impressive at all. And, like, we're seeing that now. Like – Army's not a good team, and Army pasted them. Army absolutely pants them in that game. And then Hawaii, like Hawaii's not good either. And Hawaii uh, pasted them. Granted, that was without Larrier, but they might be without Larrier in this game. And UNLV, I think people are still trying to calculate the fact that this UNLV team that was under uh, Arroyo, uh, Marcus Arroyo, is that the right first name? Yeah. Yeah. they were so middling or bad in that in, throughout his throughout most of his tenure, especially at the end. And then Barry Odom come in, come has come in and just turned this thing around so dramatically, and it so, happened so quickly that I don't think people have caught on to how good, how explosive this team is. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Keep an eye on offense coordinator Brennan Marion. Runs a really unique go-go offense. He's going to get a, a promotion next year. Maybe Barry Odom does too. All right, sickos pick. This is pretty sick. We're we're going to. Uh, Random non-conference games uh, in week 11 or week 12. Sorry. All right. Sicko's pick number one, Cody. Uh, Give me Liberty minus 27 and a half against UMass at home. Uh, Liberty is undefeated 10 and 0. Uh, absolutely rolling under Jamie Chadwell. Liberty's offense, as I mean, it's just Jamie Chadwell greatness, man. They are the fifth best offense in terms of EPA per play this season, and they're but they're top five in both 
EPA per rush and EPA per dropback. They are just absolutely cooking with Caden Salter at quarterback. They There were some questions about him earlier in the season, but he's kind of come around. Then on the flip side, you have UMass, who I think we thought with some of the transfers that they had coming in this season from Power 5 programs, from bigger group of five programs, that they might take a bigger step up. This is still one of the worst teams in the country. The Minutemen are not good. And what we've seen from Liberty with, since Jamie Chadwell took over the, at the beginning of the season is that they are not just winning these games to get to 10 and 0. They're not like a two lane where they're playing close games. They are absolutely blowing out inferior competition. And UMass might be the most inferior competition that they've seen in quite some time. And so at home, with the chance to like, they still have, they probably, I would suspect that Liberty has a chip on their shoulder being a 10 and 0 team. That's still not being ranked inside the college football playoff top 25. 100%. Why? I don't know. And I think they're just out to prove points now and giving them less than four touchdowns. I'm absolutely taking that. I think Liberty probably puts up a 60 burger in this game. Yeah. They, Kate and Salter has been lights out this year mm-hmm. and UMass is just like kind of circling in the drain, but slight improvement for Don Brown's bunch this year. Slight. Uh, Slight, slight improvement. All right, mine, taking Auburn, minus 23.5 against New Mexico mm-hmm. State. You're probably saying to yourself, Reed, took New Mexico State to win outright last week, but I know you're <laughs> going against your boys now. There, there's re, there's reasons why. Mm-hmm. First, Diego Pavia got banged up in that New Mexico State win against Western Kentucky. What, New Mexico State now controls their own destiny and I believe locked up a spot in the Conference USA title game. In what world? Is New Mexico State trying to put up a number in this one? Why is New Mexico State even trying? Why would Pavia play in this one ahead of mm-hmm. a Conference USA regular season finale and the uh, title game? No incentive. No. Meanwhile, this is an Auburn team, six and four, been all right season, nothing special. First year Hugh Freeze. Why wouldn't they want to just light it up here? This is still an SEC team with SEC level athletes. Mm-hmm. I also like. We've seen Auburn's backup quarterback play plenty in Robbie Ashford. He's going to run wild. So even when, like, the, the backups come in, Auburn should still be, like, kind of the same on offense. They should still be running their normal stuff. They're used to all this. So I think Auburn, this is simply SEC guys versus not SEC guys. They absolutely demolish them. I think this is good for a while. I think New Mexico, particularly why New Mexico State winning last week is really the impetus for this bet. That and obviously that the quarterback might not play. But – like New Mexico State could lose 49 to nothing. It makes absolutely it makes zero difference to them. They're in the conference. They're they're playing for something more that's more relevant to them. Auburn, they're trying to get into a better bowl. They're trying to put up some nice numbers and uh pad their stats. So I like Auburn minus 23 and a half. So the first time when I saw when I first saw this, that you had this down as your sickos pick, my first thought was taking Auburn the week before the Iron Bowl would not be my move. And then I thought about it more, and your point about Robbie Ashford is where I came down on it. I actually think Robbie Ashford, when the backups come in, when they have, you know, a 25 or 24 nothing lead or a 31 nothing lead, like I think Robbie Ashford might have more success against this New Mexico State defense just taking off and running. Like I think Robbie Ashford could have some really explosive runs in this game. How about this one? All the guys that couldn't get time at Auburn are going to transfer this winter. You don't think they want to put on some tape for the coaches at other Power Five schools or G5 schools saying, wow, look what this kid did. I I think this is like, a showcase game for Auburn mm-hmm. where they put up one of like their biggest, like obviously they're playing non-conference, but I think they want to absolutely light it up in this one and really like kind of send the, uh, you know, ahead of a big game, like get the vibes going. Cause I mean, you look at when they played FCS Sanford, they won 45, 13 when they played uh, UMass, they won 59, 14. So we've seen the team against really poor competition, run it up. I think we see that again here. Hundred percent, and I I want to take a second just to shout out Hugh Freeze. Like, I mean, he's a uh, questionable human being in some aspects, some might say. But in terms of the coaching job he's done with this Auburn team, to have them bowl eligible, to have them probably going into the Alabama game seven and four. Yeah, this is not a seven and four roster in the SEC. Nope. He's done a fantastic coaching job, and I know the the end result of this season. You're probably going to end up seven and five. Auburn fans might be a little disappointed in that. You made the right hire. This guy is going to have Auburn competing atop the sec pretty soon i would suspect yeah the roster just not there yet and you know it takes a a, give them a few classes to you know really make an end assumption but i i think uh this has been a super impressive job just again given like Mm -hmm. like there have been games where like they can't even throw a forward pass 
So yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah. heck, you could look at the Georgia game. They couldn't throw a forward pass and they still hung with Georgia. Exactly. <laughs> this should be, uh, I, I think the expectations were relatively low for Auburn fans, but I think this is definitely a step in the right direction. All yeah. right. Week 12 in the books. There's our picks. Cody, you want to recap this? Yeah, let's go real quick. Uh, so playoff contender pick. I've got Georgia minus, minus 10 and a half at Tennessee. Favorite total, Michigan, Maryland under 50 and a half. Uh, for the Washington State, Washington Oregon State game, I've got the player prop Dylan Johnson over 85 and a half rushing yards. That's available on DraftKings. Uh, underdog pick, I like Illinois plus three and a half against Iowa. And then Sicko's pick, Liberty Flames, baby, minus 27 and a half against UMass. Yep. And then for me, I took Texas Iowa State under 47 and a half. UCF Texas Tech over 60. I took the over 64 in Washington Oregon State. Took UNLV plus three, and I like them on the money line to beat Air Force. And uh, my sickos pick is Auburn minus 23 and a half. Cody, great show as always. If you like the show and you want some free bets, make sure to sign up at Sleeper Fantasy with the promo code FANSIDED2. That's the number two, so FANSIDED2. We'll see you next Wednesday, Rivalry Week. We will know a little bit more about the college football playoff picture. Until then, best of luck on all your bets. See you next Wednesday. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.